you can have these wild, zany ideas, but the real question is where do you focus your energy? What are you putting your energy towards? I'm Amy Jo Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. Creativity is a skinny dip in the sea of public opinion. Isn't that the truth? A friend and mentor of mine who has been on this podcast, Kenny Tomlin, said this to me last week, and I thought, wow, that is so true. We really put ourselves out there when we share our creative ideas and our creative work. The topic of creativity can feel heady, wishy-washy, because everyone has their own definition of creativity. But in this episode, we actually talk through the more tangible aspects of creativity, like what to do when you're in a rut or uninspired, the literal tricks for how to keep fresh eyes and change things up, and unique ways to look at and deal with success and failure. Brian Danielson and I are about to review the book titled Creative Quest by Questlove. It was this month's pick for the Why Not Now Read a Book Club. And if you haven't read it, no sweat. You actually don't need to because Brian and I share all of the highlights and key takeaways, so consider this your cliff notes. For those of you who are new to the show, Brian Danielson and I launched the Why Not Now Read a Book Club a couple of months ago. We have listeners vote on a book on social media, and then we read it together. The hashtag is Why Not Now Read a Book, and we all share our thoughts and photos on social as we're reading along. Because Shelfie is the new selfie. And if you're not familiar with Brian, he's a WWE superstar, a gardener, a lover of planet Earth, and he's on the Total Bellas reality show on E! Yep, he's the cool cat married to Brie Bella. And at the end, we talk through the two nominations for the next book we're going to read. Big props to everyone who's reading along with us in the Why Not Now Read a Book Club, I see all of your photos and read every single comment. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who's shown the support and signed up for the Renegade Brand Bootcamp over the last week. We still have a few spots left. Check out renegadebrandbootcamp.com. The program is designed around everything I've learned about business and personal brand building. We tackle the most taboo topics on the Why Not Now show. 
Oftentimes, you're hearing guests share things they've never shared before. In the spirit of things we don't typically talk about, you should know that the Why Not Now show is supported by Poopery, the original before-you-go toilet spray. It's magic. My friends at Poopery have literally taken the smell out of you-know-what. This pure blend of essential oils stops bathroom odor before it begins. Visit Poopery.com and Why Not Now listeners get 20% off with code Why Not Now. That's all one word. And you can hear the story about Poopery in our interview with founder Susie Batiste. That's Why Not Now, episode 28. Poopery is also available at Target. Hey, Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Amy Jo? I'm good. I'm good. I always get a little nervous before I hop on to talk to you about books because I know you've probably read it like five times. <laughs> <laughs> well, and especially because this one, it's been so long and it's a shorter book. Mm-hmm. And we kept like scheduling dates for when we were going to do this and then having to reschedule because of both of our different scheduling stuff, you know? And so it's like, uh, so because I read this book, I'm trying to remember when I finished it, when I first did it, and then re-going over stuff when I thought we were doing the podcast and then because of my schedule, we had to change it and all that kind of stuff. So it's been kind of a mishmash in my brain and it's actually, I was a little nervous too because I was just like, okay, I crammed a little bit yesterday and today just to make sure that I had all the stuff, the interesting stuff that I was, that I wanted to talk about. So me too. Well, I crammed slash, um, I struggled a little bit with this book, and we can talk about that. I did enjoy it and took a lot of value, but it wasn't as fluid and kind of easy for me to just dive into. So there was a little bit of cramming on my end too. But So we're talking about Creative Quest by Questlove. Mm -hmm. And when you suggested this book, my context for Questlove is Jimmy Fallon because I'm a big Jimmy Fallon fan, and he's kind of been a – Half I've had a crush on him, and half he seems like my big brother. And so that's how I know the roots. Um, and then maybe one or two tunes. But what was your relationship or just understanding of Questlove prior to reading? So if you were to ask me who Jimmy Fallon is, I wouldn't even really know, which is odd because my wife is actually going to be on the Jimmy Fallon show in a couple of days. Awesome. No way. <laughs> yeah. So and so it's like I would I if you were to say like okay, who's the band that plays on the Tonight show? Who who's the host of the Tonight show? I would have no idea. The um I didn't know who Questlove was. Uh, but then as I was reading this and, and not when I was reading this, but I, I was reading the cover of this and seeing if I was interested in reading this book on creativity and then to see all the different things that he's done in the creative space. That's how I kind of became aware of him. But obviously I've heard of The Roots. Oddly enough, I've never listened to a full album of The Roots, but the most experience I have with The Roots is actually they did two songs on the uh, – Hamilton mixtape, right? Oh. So Hamilton, the Broadway play, there's just, they have the music, but then they have the Hamilton mixtape where like a lot of hip hop artists or other people go in and they remake the songs from Hamilton. And the Roots redid two songs, uh, My Shot, which is like this awesome, it's just this incredible, very inspiring, like, hey, if you want to get motivated type song, like I'm not... I'm not throwing away my shot type deal, which is great in both the 
Hamilton, the Broadway play, but also in their remake. Their remake is actually like almost, I don't know, it's just more more current, right? But then um, they also do a song called Who Tells Your Story, which is which is really good as well. But that's my only exposure to Questlove. It's so interesting. And then this, the irony of your wife being on the Jimmy Fallon show in a couple of days. That's, that's awesome. So, so we both kind of went into this a little blind and, um, obviously a book on creativity by this creative connoisseur. Do you want to share just a little bit of an overview of what you understood the book to be? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. He kind of starts off and talks about like what his goals are is, and one of the things that I found interesting is he has these doubts about himself, about whether or not he's creative, right? Mm-hmm. Whether or not he's a creative person, and his main his main questions. These are he's trying to answer questions for himself. Is he creative, and can he help other people be creative through his writing and just by exploring this world? I almost found. This book, this is not like a how-to book, right? This is not a how-to-be-creative. And he talks about that early in the book because he's read a lot of creative, like books on creativity and uh, different things. You and I had both talked about the Stephen King book on writing, and Mm -hmm. that talks about a specific genre of how Stephen King does things. But this is not necessarily how Questlove does things. He also talks to other people about their creative insights, and it's more like musings on creativity and things that he thinks will help. Although it's, it's fascinating because, uh, he alternates between being like unsure of himself as far Mm -hmm. as creativity and also saying things like, but if you follow this playbook, right, I'm sure things, good things will happen type stuff. You know what I mean? And so, uh, I found that to be very interesting too, but also he talked about how, he his creativity deals at the intersection of art and commerce. So he's not just talking about he says a lot of like creative books and I found this is that a lot of creative books are either stuff like okay, how to create a best-selling novel, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pure like how to create something commercially successful. And then there's other things that are like how to create or how to inspire yourself with creation and it's almost like a form of therapy right Mm -hmm. to live your best life and his idea is that his is kind of a mix a mix up of both how do you be creative but you're also if you're going to be creative and you want to sell your creativity there's also parts of that that you have to deal with you know so uh so that's kind of what he goes through as he as he as he goes through this entire book it's it's interesting because Given the nature of how he writes it, it can be all over the place. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. which which I think maybe why you might have had a hard time with it, but also why I found it fascinating, uh, but also made it hard to reread a second time. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting take. I think I hadn't thought about the the not lack of organization, but just the, his creative mind probably goes from one thing to another. So he wrote it in a very present way. And one of the things I appreciated so much as I'm writing my second book right now is that I actually did take away some how-tos and we can get into some of those, but he wrote in a, in a unique style to where, and if you haven't read it, if you're listening to this and you haven't read it, 
he would literally mention something and then go Google it while he's rioting. So he would ask kind of a theoretical or a hypothetical question, like stream of consciousness writing, and then he wouldn't know the answer. So he said, I'm going to go Google it. And then it was almost like you were right there. Even his um, acknowledgments, he wrote at like 3 a.m. in his bed. And, And so I really appreciated that. I think one of the things that caused me to struggle a little bit, and maybe it was not realizing some of the bouncing around, but it was more of, I'm not a, um, you know, someone that really lived through that genre of music. And he had so many references to people that influenced him. So I just, I didn't know DJ so-and-so, but that's okay. Cause there was a lot of other general enough references. So, so gosh, there's so much to talk about. I have a ton of notes and I'm sure you do too, Brian. Where do we want to start? I mean, just the well, notion so of creativity. I think it's important. I think one of the things that you that you brought up is because one of the things that would make some people shy away from this book or make it hard for them to read is uh, his Questlove's relationship to creativity and how he approaches it in the book is mostly through several different avenues. He's doing it through music, and if you're not familiar with his genre of music and the people that he's referencing like for example he talks about people and some of them are just people that he's really close with but like for example jay dilla right Mm -hmm. like i don't know who jay dilla is right you know i'm learning more about jay dilla and his importance to for example hip-hop through this through this book but it's not only that but he uses some music he uses uh chefs yeah a lot of cooking comedians like so those appear even when he's talking about his creative thing with the lazy susan stuff which a lazy Mm. susan for those of you who don't know because when he first mentions a lazy susan i'm like i have no idea what a lazy susan is (laughs) it's like a circular thing that you put at the center of the table that rotates so that you don't have to pass things across the table right and so like those are clearly his three main things where he's he's interested in these things and these are his sources for how he looks at creativity with that said i look at creativity through the lens of professional wrestling mm-hmm. right which is my which is where my outlet for creativity how i look at things when i look at things in a creative aspect that sort of thing so i think when we're talking about it i think it's important maybe for the listener to understand how what aspects of your life are creative or where are you coming where are you coming at this book from because everybody's coming at it from a different perspective and i'm so glad you mentioned your area of creativity because i'd love to ask you a couple of questions in terms of the things that he brought up and whether or not you apply them or they they relate to you um and so your creative process brian Let's first talk about your relationship to creativity and your performance, uh, because it is your outlet or one of your outlets. Can you talk through a little bit of whether or not you actually have a process or have developed one, or is it just something that you innately kind of flow through like when you're thinking it through? It's interesting because I, I found myself – a lot in the book relating to things that he says as far as like, okay, he he listens to music and he'll hear a little something from this and and like just just start thinking of different things as far as music 
goes and that sort of thing. I find the same thing with wrestling, um, whether it's whether like I like mixed martial arts. So like UFC, right? Mm -hmm. So I may be watching a UFC show and something will happen in a fight or something will happen in those packages that they have where they they're interviewing the people and somebody will say something uh and that will inspire me to start going down a different path as far as like wow how could i use something like that in wrestling or what is it that in that package or in that thing that connected me to it that made me feel something right mm-hmm. he talks about that a lot as far as like you know there are things that you're supposed to like right you know, if you go to a museum, one of, one of my favorite things is because sometimes I don't know how to go through a museum. I didn't do it as a kid, right? Nobody teaches you how to walk through a museum, oh, right? Yep, yep. So like Brie and I's first date was actually at uh, the Isabella Gardner Museum in Boston. And so we're going through the first floor and the second floor and we had to go to a show the, uh, that day. And so we didn't get a chance to go to the third floor. But the reason why we didn't get a chance to go to the third floor is because we stopped and looked at every single painting. Oh, wow. <laughs> because, like, I don't know. I, you know. I don't know what I'm doing, right? I'm just like, oh, I'm supposed to appreciate this art. And he talks about how, like, you know, you don't need to stop and look at every painting. You need to stop and look at the the paintings that really catch your jump, eye. Jump or, out at you. Yeah. Yeah. If something catches your attention, good or bad. And that's the part that I, I really – I was really interested in when he was talking about about this sort of thing is like things that catch your eye good or bad if it if it catches your eye in a way that it makes you angry then you really need to pay attention to it but my my creative process is I try to watch at least one wrestling match a day um, from other like from other areas outside of WWE okay interesting so like, I went through this I went through this big stage where I was into 1980s uh, Lucha Libre, which is like <laughs> Mexican wrestling. Uh-huh. And, um, because what's been fascinating to me is I've had to change my style of wrestling, and I'm slowly in the process of doing that, uh, which is interesting. So I had to change my style of wrestling because my style of wrestling was very physically aggressive and hard on my body, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I need to change it. And I have this idea for this style that would be much easier on my body. But he talks about this too, is you have to deal with your relationship to your past work and fans' expectations of your past work. Mm -hmm. And he talks about that in music. And like, if you just do this complete departure from anything that you've ever done before, that's like a real risk commercially, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's also, uh, all of a sudden, there are some people who had never seen you before who may like it. But the, the fan base that you've built up who are used to a certain thing they are going to be like, wait a second, this isn't the this isn't the roots that I'm used to listening yep. to, or this isn't the Daniel Bryan of wrestling that I'm used to watching. And then, so you do have to make slow kind of adjustments. And so, uh, I was watching this '80s lucha libre because, oddly enough, despite all the high flying that they do, the wrestlers that have the longest careers currently are the lucha libre wrestlers. Like, there's a guy named Atlantis who's in, like, his 50s who still main events Arena Mexico in front of, like, thousands of people every week. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, how Mm -hmm. does this guy do it? And he dives out of the ring all the time, all that kind of stuff. And so I did that deep dive into that or, like, uh, you know, I I did a deep dive into various 90s wrestling. And then I go into deep dives of 1970s NWA championship wrestling matches, which is 
all of these references are things for you and me when we're reading this book, it's like him mentioning Jay Dilla, right? Right, <laughs> so, our version of Jay Dilla. If I talk about Liz Mark, you know what I mean? People are like, what? <laughs> and that's what's so interesting because one of my questions for you was how do you keep kind of fresh eyes? He talks about departures and being able to take a step away and get inspired and or just clear kind of your palate by doing something else or studying something else and then coming back to it. So you've mentioned, you know, you watch a lot of wrestling for different angles, genres, and is there anything else that you do as a complete departure that you feel increases your creativity back in your career? Yeah. So I like, and he talks about that too, about how important it is if you're a painter to maybe do something like ballet or if you're Mm -hmm. a musician that you do something else, you know what I mean? And, uh, what's, what's interesting to me is I don't do anything else besides like gardening or something like that. You know what I mean? Which is more of, I wouldn't consider it as, as like a creative exercise, more of like a meditative exercise. And that's one of the things that when I was forced to retire, it was very difficult on me because I didn't have another creative outlet. I used to write a lot, but then as I've become more of an adult and became distracted more by more adult things and your lives become more busy, I, I stopped writing as much. And like, especially, so I wrote a book and after that book, I literally, I didn't want to write anything. I don't know if I've really written anything since, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so it's just been like, it's one of those things where, so when I had to, when I stopped wrestling, it was really hard on me from a creative standpoint. And this would have been very helpful for me then, just as far as like, hey, you have to do something to creative to let all of this out, you know, so. And that's interesting. It's like the process of, of writing in general. And or if you're evaluating your own work too, and that's that's a whole nother topic. But there's an interesting meditative sense to things. And he talks about mini meditations, these micro kind of mini meditations that he does, uh, Questlove does. And they're like these Jedi Zen mind tricks <laughs> where mm-hmm. he can be in a really intense kind of critical moment, could be stressful. And he it takes maybe less than a minute to – be fully consumed by the moment, but also like uh, a million miles away kind of at the same time. And I thought that was really interesting because I've caught myself doing that a couple of times now since reading. But the meditation aspect I think is more powerful to creativity than we realize. I know that you meditate and you do your, I don't know if you're still doing it, if it's evolved since last we talked, but 100 deep breaths a day or that's kind of your practice? Is that still? Yeah. Do you find more creative ideas spark as a result of that during or after? Because I definitely do after I've started meditating. I actually don't. I, so I w- as I was reading this, it was interesting because, you know, there's a lot of stuff on finding ideas, right? I tend to not have a problem finding ideas. Like if anything, sometimes I have too many ideas and I have all these ideas floating around in my brain. Like I have to pare them down. And if ever I want to expand them, it's it almost seems like there's an infinite amount and then I start to get overwhelmed. 
by the ideas to the point of paralysis. <laughs> mm-hmm. Too many. And so that's where the that's where the meditation helps me. Is it helps me? Uh, I'm more relaxed after, and then I can choose which one to focus on. And I think one of the things that really struck me at the beginning of the book was his talking about more important than trying to decide what you are. One of the first things you have to do is decide what you're not. You know what I mean? Because there's all these different things like I, so my wife has a YouTube channel. So, uh, I've come up with, with a million different ideas for her YouTube channel. And every time I come up with one of these ideas, the, uh, the WWE people who produce it, it's like, Oh my gosh, that's great. Let's film it. Let's, Let's film that. Oh my gosh, that's great. Let's film that. Oh my gosh, that's great. Let's film that. But the reality is, is that like, hey, I'm really busy and I don't have time to film all this stuff. And then like by just me putting it out there, it's like other people want to do it, but then I don't, I don't really want to do it. So why am I wasting my energy? <laughs> yeah. Can, can you things? do both? Can you be the idea generator, but not the executor though? I mean, in theory you could be, <laughs> but the reality to me is when I was reading this book, it was like, it's okay for me to have these ideas and let my mind wander or whatever it is. But as even though my wife has this YouTube channel, that's not where my passion is. And that's where mm-hmm. I, that's not where I should be uh, using my energy, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can have these wild zany ideas, but the real question is where do you focus your energy? What are you putting your energy towards? And as somebody who has a limited amount of energy and a limited amount of time and with traveling and everything like that, I don't want to use my energy doing these things that even though I've come up with them creatively, they're not satisfying to me. Interesting. Creative resources. So it's like the return on your investment of your creative energy and yeah. really getting clear and zoning in on where you want to spend it. That's a, I think that's a great takeaway because it can be – it takes time, mental space and time, and it can be not exhausting, but it's a, it's using a certain portion of your brain. And I get carried away by it. <laughs> you can, yeah, like fall down a rabbit hole type thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah interesting. So uh, there's a passage in the book that I wanted to read and get your thoughts on and see what went through your head when you read this. It's when... Questlove talks about Michael Jackson when he wanted to reinvent himself. And Quest says in the book, you know, no matter what you already have, understand the desire to remake yourself. And then he goes on to talk about, and he actually has a short passage that Michael Jackson wrote to himself when he was wanting to reinvent himself after kind of departure from Jackson 5 into his own solo superstardom. I'm going to read this real quick, and then I would love to hear what you thought when you read it. Okay, so this is Michael Jackson writing to himself. MJ will be my new name. No more Michael Jackson. I want a whole new character, a whole new look. I should be a totally different person. Totally spelled incorrectly, but we forgive him. (laughs) People should never think of me as the kid who sang ABC. I want you back. I should be a new, incredible actor, singer, dancer that will shock the world. I will do no interviews. I will be magic. I will be a perfectionist, a researcher, a trainer, a master. I will be better than every great actor roped into one. 
I must have the most incredible training system to dig and dig and dig until I find. I will study and look back on the world of entertainment and perfect it. Take it steps further from where the greats left off. Okay. So when you read that, what were your first thoughts? Uh, My first thought is that I've had very similar thoughts and uh, where I would almost describe them as epiphanies where I would think and write down things like that. Like I am going to be the greatest professional wrestler of all time and here's how I'm going to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, so there's that part of it as far as writing down like, hey, this is what I want, this is what I'm going to be, yada, yada, yada. The idea, and that's in the section about departure, right? About Mm -hmm. getting away from these past things that you've been. And it's interesting because when I think about departure, I don't think about departure in terms of if I could depart from where I am now, I could become the greatest of all time. I think of if I depart from where I am now, I could do something so totally and completely different that nobody because of the expectations people have of Daniel Bryan, I could go and do these things that creatively would be so infinitely fulfilling just to see if they worked. I all, mm. I oftentimes think if I just went to a random independent wrestling show at your, at your local VFW hall, that's just like just Cleveland pro wrestling or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. You, I go there and there's, 250 people and I'm in a full body suit mask everything and nobody knows who I am could I go out there with a completely new style and really get the crowd going to the point where they said oh man did you see that masked guy he was my favorite you know mm-hmm. like I I the idea for me of departure and and like Michael Jackson wanting to like leave all this stuff that he was behind, which were all great things, right? Mm-hmm. People knew him for these, these great things. The idea of leaving behind what I've done in the past to become the greatest of all time has never occurred to me. When I've thought about departure, I've always thought about it in a creative endeavor as far as being like, wow, that would allow me to do all these things because people would have no expectations. So when I, when I read, so but I also, when you read that, you also have whatever your feelings are of Michael Jackson, whether it's uh, empathy or sympathy or whether you dislike him or you have like weird thoughts about him or whatever it is. You know what I mean? This letter contains a, a lot of – it will take you in that direction of your thoughts of Michael Jackson. So. Right. It, it's fascinating and it's cool to hear the fact that you've had – a similar just thought in a different way, but yours is related a little more to identity or not having that same, like you said, expectations. A few things that I took away from it, I I was, I had to stop after reading this. And I actually, it was on a road trip. My husband was driving and he was listening to the World Cup final. And I, I pressed, like I turned down the volume and said, I have to read you this. And he looked at me like, really, is it that important? Because first he's a musician, but I had to just see if my brain was taking this in a different way than like his would. Because at first I was very turned off and I just thought, you know, 
does he not honor kind of where he came from and respect the fact that that was his platform to get to the next step? And then I thought, no, you know, you're talking about a highly creative individual. I just saw it lacked some humility, but then also the biggest thing to me is I felt like in that passage, Michael Jackson really wanted to complete compete with the rest of the world versus kind of competing with his best self. And it made me think a little bit about um, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee has written similar passages where I will make $10 million by the age of XYZ, or I'm totally paraphrasing. But it was more of an I am instead of I will. And it was him competing against himself more, it felt like, than... But then I kind of came around to that empathy. So it was such an emotional like process that I went through as I was thinking, here's this guy who we know felt fairly isolated and was a, a creative just wizard, but it got it allowed us into his head a little bit. So it was just fascinating because I think there's such a romanticism about wanting to reinvent yourself. Like we all have that at times. Um, but to write it down, that's powerful too. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the idea that he wanted to become bigger, right? In the sense of like a lot of my fantasies as far as like departure come with the idea of – and you have to keep in mind, I am nowhere near obviously <laughs> as famous as Michael Jackson, right? No, like, but you have I, fame. I mean it's, but, it's yeah, helpful. But I go places and people recognize me and that sort of thing and – some of the some of my my fantasies or delusions about departure is this idea of going somewhere where nobody knows who you are for both good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. And like uh, because most of the most of the time people come up to me and and talk to me and that sort of thing about wrestling or whatever it is, it, they're all very positive experiences, right? But I almost crave sometimes I crave the idea of not. Of, of none of that, of just being able to be, um, to walk around with, without, without that expectation too, because of when people see you, like it could be five thirty in the morning and I'm about to get on a flight and I have, I've only slept three hours or whatever. And then the expectation of is like, Hey, Oh wow. Yeah. And they want to talk to you. And I, I'm like, I can barely keep my eyes open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like some of those kind of things and more so, and the wrestling aspect of it, the expectation of what people expect in the ring and what people expect me to do and what people expect the interviews to be and all that kind of stuff. So I, I yeah, it's just it's interesting that he wanted to be bigger because I would have I would have thought that at that time he would have already felt like a very like a very big star. But then but I mean, that's a different drive, I guess, than than somebody like like me has, you know, so. Well, it's just I think it's just interesting all in, all around and um But I do like the idea of he wants to be magic, right? Mm-hmm. Like he I did like that become idea. magic. <laughs> yeah, like I like I'm I will be magic, right? Like I've had that idea as like a performer, is like I want it to be like so I want it to be so cool and special when I go to the ring that it it does. It feels like what I'm doing is impossible. But that's more but that's also more of a creative quest than like a be bigger than anything else type thing. I think like the the creative aspect of how you do something in wrestling that nobody's ever done before and that nobody can figure out, that would be very creatively fulfilling. 
Mm, it's just the whole concept is fascinating. And maybe that type of attitude and that angle and edge is exactly what makes Michael Jackson Michael Jackson. And I don't know. So it's I have so much more appreciation after thinking it through. But at first glance, it's funny how you can have an emotional reaction to someone's oh, yeah. creative writing and then – you come back full circle. I'm like, okay, no, I'm. <laughs> I think my initial reaction was I was actually horrified at first, and then I came around to thinking about it about me and myself, and then I became less horrified. <laughs> Same, yeah, and it's, you know, it reminds me of a little bit is I worked for several years very closely with Dwayne Johnson, and he, there's a similar kind of drive or I don't know if it's bravado or charisma about The Rock that. It's world domination. And if you were to say that without knowing it in context, it would sound so probably arrogant or just, I don't know. But I mean, then, even as you say it right now, it sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it does. But that's in his translation, that to him, I think, means him being the best he possibly can. Um, and and he does a pretty good job at it. But it it's, I guess it's the words we use. And the fact that he, Michael Jackson wrote that to himself. We're kind of like peeking in as voyeurs here, so I guess we can't judge too much. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, yeah. I imagine, and I don't know. I don't know if he says when he wrote that. But I mean, if you would have read my like the stuff I was writing that I didn't think anybody else would see when I was twenty years old, and you like cherry picked the worst slash best stuff that would be interesting to the public, you might like. You might get some real good ones in there, but like, oh, this is horrifying or, you know, whatever it is, you know, so. Exactly. That has to be taken into account as well. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you are digging this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes. It just takes a moment and it means a ton to us. Also, after recording more than 100 episodes, I've created a bit of a cheat sheet on the top five things I've learned from renegades and how they get from idea to action, from dreaming to doing. I will email you the downloadable PDF when you subscribe to my newsletter. Just head to amyjomartin.com and click on connect with me. What are the other parts of the book that you that you really liked? I know that you struggled with some of the stuff, but what were there chapters or ideas that you really clung to? For sure. I really did enjoy the failure uh, discussion and his his view on it. So let's, if, if we can, let's dive into that for a minute. And then there were some exercises that I took away that that we might talk through um, that, are, that felt pretty functional and practical. Um, but failure. So just in general, anything, anytime we do something creative, you know, we're putting ourselves out there and obviously being vulnerable. And I was talking to a friend about this and he just started, he's an entrepreneur, very successful business person has recently gotten into spoken word. And he said, creativity is, is a skinny dip into the sea of public opinion. (laughs) I was (laughs) like, oh, that's so good. Um, But yeah, when, Quest Love starts to, and I don't know if we're supposed to call him Quest because we're like, you know, we know him so well now, or we call him Quest Love, but whatever. Right. So when Q starts <laughs> to talk about failure at the end of the book, rightfully so, he mentions that this analogy, and he says, failure is one of the only human endeavors where you can feel like you're crashing an airplane 
when it comes to creativity, but you're able to walk away. So if you put something out there that's from your creative being and it just bombs, it can feel like a near-death experience to you personally, but actually there's no harm in terms of it, the, the net net at the end of the day in terms of physical, obviously, harm or anything. So I thought that was such a good way of, of putting it because I've experienced that and I'm sure you have too. Yeah, it's uh, I – I had actually underlined that and then folded the page and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's actually a quote from David Bowie. And it says, oh, one of the right. few human yeah. endeavors where you can crash your airplane and walk away from it. Uh, he's talking about creativity. Thank you for clarifying the author, too, of that, of who this yeah. is. So has there been a time where you've <laughs> – that you can think of top of mind where you felt that way? Um, so there's never – so there's – there's been a time – so he talks about – he also – when he talks about failure, he talks about using using it to inspire you to do more. Like it's a it's a part of the journey. And he talked – and that's one of the things I really appreciated about it is he was saying like, hey, if you're in a creative field for long enough – and this goes with anything, I suppose, not just creative things. Mm-hmm. You are going to fail. Yep. So how do you deal with that failure? The only true failure is then you just if – you, is if you just stop. Right. Yep. But, um, but I've had, there was one particular time and I wrote about this in my book where I had a, there was a match that people were very excited about. The fans were really excited about, and it was between me and another guy. And this was when I was on the independent level. So, I mean, we're talking about, there might've been like a thousand people there, but for that level, a thousand people was like a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and they wanted to see us fight. And because we were both very good technical wrestlers, instead of fighting, we went out there and did technical wrestling for 40 minutes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and in hindsight, you can see that, like, I can see that that was really just the wrong move. And I don't know if anybody else would describe it, would describe that match or that show as a failure i describe it as a failure because at the end of it the fans did not get what they wanted but i also learned a lot from that in the sense of like sometimes within what we do like you have things that you want to do and then you have the fan expectation of what you want to do and you have to at least you you have to at least give them you have to meet their expectations there you know what i mean and so And at the time, I was very much into my own creativity as far as it didn't matter what anybody wanted. I was going to do what I wanted. And that is that was just the wrong mindset commercially. You know what I mean? And so I, I really I took that one hard as far as like as far as this is this is the wrong way to approach everything that I'm doing. But it also made me it also made me better and a much better wrestler, like what he was saying. So, so yeah, that one, that one was really tough. There have been, I mean, uh, on a weekly basis, we do a weekly live TV show where I have matches most week on TV. And sometimes I come back just really demoralized and feel like whatever I had done was an absolute 100% failure, but it's always usually a motivating factor of like, okay, I need to, that means I need to work harder to make it better next time or I need to change this or change that. So, mm. Oh, I have two follow-up questions for you or one point. So in the book, 
what you just described of kind of doing what you wanted to do creatively versus what the fans kind of expected. There's a similar story in the book where Questlove is DJing. Do you remember how he yeah. he knew it'd be great for the fans and for the vibe of this nightclub or something to play certain songs, but he had other stuff that he was working on that he he wouldn't play what they wanted. He played what he wanted. And he talks about that same experience. So there's a delta there and you have to kind of reconcile between your own creative desires and what your audience wants. And it's it's an internal kind of healthy tension like feeling, I know from from my experience too. Um which is part of that it's just part of the creative process. Yeah, right. So Yeah. Yeah. And and, and you know it's um the big thing to me is with the failure section is just like that's and everybody has to deal with it not just creatives business people like that's one of the big things they say about being an entrepreneur right mm-hmm. you have to know that you're going to fail and you're going to learn more from your failures than you do your successes because if everything just comes easy you know like mm-hmm. that's why it, it's interesting uh different different note but same kind of thing that's why i have so much respect for somebody like lebron james right mm-hmm. because you have to think they always talk about how hard of a worker LeBron James is. Like his, the whole time in college, uh, or maybe he just went straight from high school to the NBA, I forget. The whole time he's I mean, been he in the did, NBA, yeah. he's the hardest working guy. Well, you have to think, this guy is like, he has been picked from the time that he was very young to be like, this guy is the guy. So how do you keep working hard? So if you're a high school basketball player, and you're so much better than everybody else that they want to draft you straight from high school into the NBA. How do you keep working that hard? And then after your NBA, you're in the NBA and everybody says that you're the best player in the NBA, how do you keep working that hard? After you've already won an NBA championship and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. how do you keep working that hard? Because I think to me, like part of the reason if everything was easy for me in wrestling, I could see how I might not work as hard or might not think about it as much or I might just think it's, oh, it's a simple thing. Mm-hmm. And, but I think like failure really helps build you. And that's why I'm actually sometimes more impressed by people who have never had any failures, not because, wow, they've succeeded every time, but then like if they've never failed, how do they have the motivation to keep, to keep working going. so hard? <laughs> yeah, and keep evolving and, and growing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. It's... It's interesting to think about the concept of uh, experimentation. And when you're experimenting, you can't really fail. So if you set out to do something and you frame it up as an experiment, it's it's kind of an interesting mind trick, I think, to to experience failure a little differently if something doesn't work out the same way. Um, so any other crazy, strong, poignant things that you took away from the book that you want to talk about? Well, I, so I, I'm always fascinated by the links to between books, right? And so like Mm -hmm. the interesting thing to this book and, and what he's talking about that actually is interesting with the factfulness book that we, that we had um, Mm -hmm. talked about is he talks a, a lot about, created like this cognitive disambition 
which is uh, what we do is we filter out. He talked about it in factfulness as far as like this attention filter. That's how, that's how the news media get our – that's why we think the world isn't, isn't the way the world actually is, is because they need these things to penetrate through our attention filters because there's so much stuff coming at us. At all the time, right? So we have these super high attention filters where to really catch our attention, you have to you have to do something really special, or it has to be a crazy story, or it has to do this, or it has to do that, and that's why we have we don't have a fact based view of the world. He's talking about letting that attention filter down, being able to absorb more things in the mm. world around you, paying attention more, so you're not. So, and that's one of the, the ways that you let your creativity. So for example, if I were to only watch WWE wrestling and only watch WWE wrestling from the last 10 years, and that was the only way that I learned or thought about wrestling in a, in a certain way, I would never, I would never evolve past what everybody else is, is mm -hmm. evolved because they're doing the same thing, mm -hmm. right? Yep. But if I start taking in things from all these different things, if I take in stuff for, like, we do a lot of interview segments and that sort of thing. Well, if I take in it something from just something I overhear in a cafe, right, that somebody says, I was like, wow, that really, that's a very striking concept and thought. Uh, or if stuff, something that I read, something that I read in, in books, like, one of the things that he talks about is, like, he was talking about music and, you know, and the way that they use alliteration in music. And I was like, there's really nobody who uses alliteration in their promos. And that could be a way to make my interviews different and more fun for the fans to enjoy and that sort of thing. And it would also make it more creative for me because, like, we're kind of given bullet points of what we need to say, right? But then if I can somehow weave in some alliteration into that so it makes it easier and more fun to digest, like mm -hmm. all that stuff. So uh, letting down these attention filters so that more things come into your brain and just let it, just letting it percolate a little bit. And I think another one, of, it's interesting too because he talks about the studies being people are actually more creative when they're a little bit tired. Yeah, right? that was fascinating. I would have thought, get up early, do your creative work. That was cool. Well, and, you know, and, and it's funny because he does, I mean, there's alternating things in it where it says, like, in the getting started section, he talks about, like, most creative people, like, what is, they say, what is your pro, what is your process? And they say, like, get up, drink a cup of coffee, and then do this, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so, you know, he talks about that where it's, like, that sort of alertness or energy or whatever. But then the studies show that that if you're a little bit tired, you actually have more creativity because you're dropping these attention filters, which I okay. find to be fascinating. Another thing that he talked about was the, there is a very small – when I first read that, I immediately thought of drugs, right? I thought of alcohol. I was just taking – yeah, like one glass of wine. Yeah, a little so better. Create. He, he said, "Yeah, like uh, having like a glass or two of wine, and then and then I immediately wrote in the book in the margin. I wrote drugs, and this is as somebody who <laughs> has never drank in my life, never smoked anything, never done anything. And I was like, I wonder if he's also if 
that also applies to drugs because I was reading this book on, on like LSD and all this kind of stuff by Michael Pollan. And so I was just like, I was just like, huh. And then, um, because it just would let down your attention filters or whatever. And but your then inhibitions on, too. Yeah. Right. And then he goes on to talk about Seth Rogen, mm-hmm. who he <laughs> is, who Seth Rogen feels like he's not, he is a better actor because he smokes marijuana. Because if he's just antsy and like all this kind of stuff, he's going to be and nervous and everything. He's not going to be at his creative best. Whereas, and he's talking about like using, allow yourself to use the things that make you comfortable, right? So that you can do these, do these things. But I was, I was just, I was interested by all of that. Just the idea that you don't like, and, and I found that for myself that sometimes my best ideas are like at 4.30 in the morning at the airport when I just finished a show at, or I've just gotten back to my hotel room at 1 a.m. So I got two hours of sleep and I'm in the airport and I just think like, oh man, this would be awesome. <laughs> and I've always struggled to, to figure out why that is, but it might be just that that attention filter, you know? Yeah, that's – that's a was a really interesting takeaway and a couple of things that he talked about relative to the internet and the online world oh. relative to this too was was fascinating and it's so true and he, at one point he said something like the brain is more of a hunter and gatherer versus a farmer these days because of the internet yeah, yeah which I, it just reminds us that we do have to think for ourselves it's so easy to go Google something and adopt what we're reading. And and if we close our laptops, and even said at times there's just – you just have to close that computer and get bored for a second to allow your attention filter to change. And, and that, was, that was key for me. And also at one point in the beginning is – this is probably my favorite quote in the whole book was he said – be a tourist in other perspectives. Yeah. And um, it all ties into what you just said. I think that's a huge takeaway. Yeah. So uh, so I, I, I am fascinated by the idea. I think that was one of the very interesting things to me in the book that I, that I thought about for a long time after. And I've like seen it in other stuff and I've thought, been just thought about it and contemplating it just in life in general before this book and, and – and after. But, you know, he also talks about the internet. So one, as far as a creative, right, it's a mm-hmm. distraction, but it's also makes our lives easier in the sense of if you have this idea, you can go out and research it faster than you ever could before. But then as you're researching that, you could also get drawn down these other rabbit holes of things that are like super distracting, that sort of thing. But it, like, but it, there's so many different levels of this too, because then he's talking about like reviews and how now to be a reviewer, anybody can be a reviewer. It doesn't take much to just go and yeah. put to, so, uh, he comes out with a new album, right? And somebody can just go on Amazon or I don't know if Amazon reviews music, so whatever it is, right? He goes, they go on there and say two out of five stars, meh. Right. Right. And he sees that, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're on your Twitter or whatever it is, it's like, like, uh, for me, it would be like, okay, you go out and you have a wrestling match and say, I'm, say I'm wrestling somebody who's big 
and I have to take a bunch of big throws and falls and so like my body's pretty beat up afterwards and then you see see people on on the internet that just say daniel bryan versus so-and-so meh and like oh yeah not fair my body hurts like like this hurts and uh and so you know he talks about that and the hierarchy of um, it what it does in some ways in some days this is, in some ways this is fantastic is in the sense of it diminishes the hierarchy of like reviewers right mm-hmm. and in some ways that's fa- fantastic but in other ways there's people that have no, no authority or should have no authority or he talks about people who who they don't really have any thoughts on what you just did but they feel like they should they're just clicking so buttons they, <laughs> Yeah. And so like all this, you know, I find I find how the internet affects our lives now to be one of the most fascinating things that's going on just because like uh, one of the people I work with, I saw at the gym yesterday. Like I walk into the gym and this person is uh is on a a cardio machine, not going very hard and just looking at their phone like head down, buried in their phone. And who knows? I, I, I don't want to judge. I don't know what's going on. It could be something important, but it could be just like there's this whole world around us and we're constantly, you know, you, I get in these rental car shuttles all the time. And it, there was one time I was in New York City and I walked in, every single person, there had to have been 25 people on this bus, some people who were traveling together and they were all down looking at their phones. And I was like, Wow what's going on you know what i mean like uh but it, it, there was a there was a great there was a great quote that he that he had in there that it was like um it, because he also talks about creativity as a way to push away our insignificance oh right? yes yes i marked like, that too we are insignificant as humans and that's the like when you start really thinking about our insignificance and all that kind of stuff and how creativity is a way to put something out there so we're not so in- insignificant, but still knowing that we're insignificant. But one of my favorite lines is something, and I don't have the exact quote, I wish I, I, wish I had thumb, but, but he says something like this. We are all insignificant, but we are infinitely more significant than whatever is going on on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't use Twitter exactly, but I just like that's how I took it because so many of the people I work with are like on on Twitter or on social media all the time, and I just like we're insignificant, but we're we're so much more significant than anything that's going on on Twitter. <laughs> and, so, and so I I I loved I loved that, and it, yeah, it was just it, it was really just really good on. Uh, it was a really just good thing to think about for me, you know. Yeah, the this is this is the quote I found it. it. You have to remember that you're insignificant, but also that you are potentially more significant than all the noise that's being supplied to you at every moment. <laughs> and it's really true. Every single moment, there's all this noise that's just coming out coming out at us, and people feel like they have to like absorb it all or know like, oh, well, this is important. I should know this or this because. My friend mentioned this on Instagram. I should comment on it or whatever it is. I should like it. I should do this or I should do, you know, whatever it is. That's his – he's a real proponent of letting boredom just – Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, allow yourself to be bored and allow yourself. I thought you were actually going to mention another point about that area where he talks about, he says, when you realize you're insignificant, you can start feeling two things, passion and pain. Passion is the way you fight meaninglessness. If you were significant, you wouldn't necessarily need passion at all. You could just sit back and experience things as they came. And pain is the acceptance of the truth of that insignificance. So it's like both with failure and your own relevancy and worth, he kind of twists it and says, no, it's okay. It's actually healthy to feel insignificant. And anyway, but then there's the flip too, like you said, with, with the freedom and knowing that there's so much noise, you can still be significant in the real world and forget about the interwebs for a a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a weird thing because he's, he's done like, I feel like I felt like a lot of times in the book, he is, he is alternating between ideas and he even says it's, I feel like it's in the introduction, which I really like saying something like, and in this process, we will find out about creativity or we won't find about creativity (laughs) and it's all the same. (laughs) Yes. He contradicts himself constantly and kind of almost argues, not argues, but he accepts that he believes both. Right. And he can believe both. It's interesting. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I, so reading this book and I, I find this a lot with books that make me think and like I'm interested in and all that kind of stuff. It really makes me want to talk to the author and just like, I really want to know him. Like, mm-hmm. I really want to like sit down and just be like, "Hey, man, just like, let's just chat," you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Have a you know, a cup of tea and cup of and- tea and see where things go. It's not like I want to talk to him about creativity because that's why he put out this book, right? right? right. I just want to I want to talk to him and see how he just inter how he interacts with the world just. As he's just functioning as a human, you know. Um, well, you never know. Maybe we'll get it. We'll still get him on here. We'll. Yeah, my wife is gonna probably interact with him, like as there he's just go. doing his job on Wednesday, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she won't be. I'm sure she won't be nearly as interested as I would be. Where I would just, I might just be like a a fly and the wall, just like okay, I'm going to observe him and see how he interacts with all these people. Because really, if you first meet somebody, that's not how somebody really is you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like typically uh but if you just watch somebody as they're in their work environment where they just do this every day and just kind of like see how they are and what they talk about and all that kind of stuff like i'm just fascinated by the whole thing so Mm, it'll be interesting for you to kind of witness even his context in that situation because you're not a jimmy fallon like uh, necessarily a very familiar with that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. But yeah, uh, but one of the, one of the things too that, I mean, so there are parts of this book that I really just had a, I really had a tough time with as far as like things that I really didn't care about. Like the whole chapter on success and failure, really, I was just like, like the failure stuff was good, but you know, that sort of thing. Um, But one of the ones that I thought like, when I read it, I thought every pro wrestler should read this is the stuff is the thing on mentors and apprenticeships. Mm. And, uh, and I read it and I thought, you know what, probably like a lot of people should read this. And the idea 
when it, so I was very lucky to have a wonderful mentor in pro wrestling. So I was trained originally by a guy named Shawn Michaels, who's considered one of the best North American wrestlers of all time. Um, but when I was first starting with him, I was just learning the basics, like very much just the basics. So I couldn't glean everything that I could from him. But then when I moved on, I started being trained by a guy named William Regal, who is not nearly as popular or famous as Shawn Michaels. But William Regal became my mentor, right? And so he he trained with me for, for three months. But then even after that time period, like he was always checking up on me. So like I, I was going – he had hooked me up with jobs. He was constantly asking me to send him tape of my matches and stuff. And then like we'd bat back and forth ideas. And you have to keep in mind this was when – I'm on the independent circuit. So, I mean, it's not like what I was doing was on such a large scale, right? But he's just constantly interested and and wanting to help me and all this kind of stuff. And he's been just an amazing mentor. But one of the things that I really like that he said is that when you're, when you're, when you're an apprentice, the mentor isn't important. The thing that you need to focus on is being an apprentice, being the best apprentice that you can be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, that was, I thought that, that whole section was just like, was just really, really good. And then it also talked about like influences. And when oh, you yeah. start creating things, cause I found this with myself in wrestling. It was like, when you start creating things, you kind of just copy the things that you like, right? Like in wrestling, I know I did that for sure. And then once you start But once you start creating things on your own, like now all of a sudden you're no longer just completely a copy of somebody else. Now you're becoming your own thing. You know, so you start being influenced by other things. One of the things I really liked about, he had said this about his own, why he doubted that he's creative is that he said, you know, he does all these different drumming styles and techniques or whatever. And they're like, wow, that's so, people who don't know are like, wow, that's so creative. But he says, that's only because you don't know how many influences I have. Mm-hmm. Like even even great drummers, like people who you would consider a great drummer. Like he seems like he has an encyclopedic knowledge of drummers that just like stays in his head and how when he's doing a song, he's like, okay, how would this drummer do this song? And he just starts doing it as that drummer. It's like he's cosplaying as a different drummer. And it's interesting because people have, like other wrestlers have asked me and been like, oh man, where did you, like, man, the stuff that you do is so creative and awesome. And in my mind, I'm thinking, it's like, well, that's because you've never watched Millie Zerno Mm -hmm. in 1881. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like (laughs) Like inspired imitation evolves into your own... Yeah, 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 yeah. And how like all these influences when you take when you take these things from all these different influences, they become you end up melding them into your own thing. Own formula. Your creative act. And one of the things that I that I really like when he wrote it, I I just was like, that's so true. Is he just says originality that like people people pay way too much attention to originality because everything springs from something. And just because we don't know where something sprung from, like, because like in the 1960s, we didn't have the internet, right? So we don't know. Take a look it up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When, when such and such 
derived this musical style from hearing this person and then like oh that sparked an idea that did this but it was just like a play off of that we you know because of everything that we have access to now like within wrestling i can see i i've watched things and go like okay that's derivative of this which is derivative of this which is derivative of that right and uh and so you can kind of trace that thing of where these ideas have sparked from and there are like some bursts of pure originality, but they come from something else that's outside of wrestling. So are they really original? And the thing that really struck me is he said, nothing is nothing. So there's, there's nothing that comes from absolutely nothing because nothing is just nothing and nothing comes from nothing. You know, even like when you talk about evolution on planet earth, you talk about like, okay, there were these molecules that somehow interacted in a way to form life. And then those things interacted with other things to form this thing. And then these things evolved because there was a hole created because of this. It wasn't like we set out and I mean, it depends on if you're a creationist or an evolutionist or whatever it is, you know what I mean? But the planet didn't just start with humans, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, yeah. Like, Here's a planet, in drops a human, right? And it just it doesn't just come from nothing. You know what I mean? And totally. even if you're a creationist, it still doesn't come from nothing. It came from somebody who put together this thing, and it comes from something. Nothing comes from nothing. And that was an idea that I had read when I was reading it. I was on a plane, and then I just stopped, and I started looking out the window, and just <laughs> mind went awry for for probably 15 minutes. <laughs> well, it's hard to wrap your mind around it. You know, it's kind of mind-blowing when you start to try and truly think through that concept. It's Well, let's talk about our next book. So I know you have uh, something in mind, and we'll do another poll like we did before on Twitter where everyone can vote. Do you want to share the book that you're thinking of or do you want to give it some time? And we, no, 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 okay. No. I, uh, yeah, I, I want to, so we had talked about this and our next book being a fictional book. Yeah. Right? And so <laughs> the idea of both of us providing a thing for fiction, I, like I, you know, um, I, I have really diverted away from fiction in my reading in the last several years. And so I used to read almost exclusively fiction and now I've kind of gotten away from it a little bit, but the, but I saw this book at a, a bookstore in San Diego and I really wanted to get it. I was fascinated by it, but I just didn't for whatever reason. And, uh, which my wife will tell you is very unlike me. I, I tend to, I'll buy a book even if I, if, even if I never end up reading it, if I just think it's interesting. Uh, but it's called the Overstory by Richard Powers. And it's just a, uh, about, the environment and like trees affect on us. And the idea, I think the idea is that like there's somebody falls into like a forest or something like that. And it's all this stuff about trees communicating with each other and all this kind of stuff and about the trying to save the forest and then all this different, like it's kind of abstract, but I think it's really good. And it was in like the featured titles thing. So it should be, accessible enough to most people that it wouldn't be like this avant thing that we're not going to be able to understand. Right. Good. <laughs> so, so that's, that's, the, yeah, that's the one that, um, Oh, here's the thing. It says, uh, five, five strangers are brought together in a last and violent stand to save the continent's few remaining acres of a virgin forest. 
So, yeah, so, I mean, that's right up my alley as far as environmentalism, Italian, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's that's my suggestion. The Overstory by Richard Powers. Okay, so The Overstory by Richard Powers. And I, too, I'm craving a fiction book. I very rarely read fiction, but it's just feeling it. And I'm not going to put my official nomination out there yet because I want to do a little bit more research One of the things I'm considering is All the Light We Cannot See by, I forget who wrote it, but pretty popular uh, fiction book. But I'm going to include my nomination when we do the poll. So if you're listening, just look for the poll within the next few days and we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see because these are all ideas that we can talk about, right? Like he's saying this and I think this, or this is how this relates to me. It'll be interesting to do it with fiction. It It will be. (laughs) Me too. I was just thinking that, like, how do we even, do we can't, do we, you know, evaluate the, I immediately go to writing style and trying to turn it into nonfiction. Um, So yeah, this will be, maybe it'll be a shorter review. Who knows? Maybe it'll be longer. Okay. Well, Thank you for your awesome uh, review of Quest Love's Creative Quest, and we'll be on to our next book here soon. Yep, thank you very much. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the show. Hit me up on social media to let me know what you think. I'm at Amy Jo Martin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I want to hear your why not now moments so I can share them on the show. Just send me a note to why not now at amyjomartin.com. For show notes and other offers, you can visit amyjomartin.com forward slash why not now. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for my email newsletter for exclusive content and announcements. A big thanks to Rock Salt Music for all of the tunes by the talented John Coggins. And of course, a hat tip to Richard Gruer for editing and producing the show. I'll see you next time. And until then, why not now? Mm-hmm.